Hello my lovelies, welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Marikin, and this is now going to be the jumping off point for my next franchise deep dive. I hope you'll join me over the next five episodes, ten weeks, as myself and different guests discuss and explore the amazing, highly underrated franchise that is the Final Destination franchise. Each week will be a different film discussed in depth with different guests and follow along on my Twitter and my Instagram and let me know what you think as the episodes are released. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy recording these fantastic episodes. Hello and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host Mixbell Marigan and today we are kicking off a new deep dive into a different horror franchise and this series is going to be into the Final Destination franchise. And to kick us off, we'll be discussing the first film in the franchise, Final Destination, and I'm joined by Kat Hughes. So before we start jumping into discussing the film, just maybe a little bit of introduction about yourself and your own kind of connection to horror and why horror is something that gives you joy. Well, firstly, thank you for thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to uh, to what we're going to be chatting about. Uh, my name is Kat Hughes. I've been writing for the last nine or so years, primarily for thehollywoodnews.com. Over a couple of years, I sort of found I was just reviewing the horror titles, and I've kind of stuck stuck with that. So now, Fright Fest each year is is my baby. So I will regularly be covering all. 70 plus films um which is i've got a three-year-old so that's it's it's fun trying to watch the types of films that fight their screen over and around you know the cbb schedule um but it's what i love and in terms of getting into horror my mum was the one that got me into horror she was a, a single parent who was a teenager around the video nasty era so she sort of already had an appetite and there would be many nights where you know, she'd be watching something and it would be like, well, do you want to watch it? If I like got up or whatever, because I couldn't get to sleep, she'd just be like, sit down, you know, this should be okay for you to watch. So I saw a lot of stuff far too young, but it's, it's, it's kind of the thing that's kept us connected. Like we, you know, whenever we go to the cinema together, it's always to see a new horror film and it's, it's sort of like a nice legacy. Whereas when, she was guiding me now through the writing. I'm the one that's sort of going like, oh, you should check this one out. Don't watch that one. But there's this one that you might quite like. So I kind of feel like horror is what has sort of kept us to, together in, in many ways, which I think is is something that is true for, for a lot of people that I talk to. Definitely. And like I just love that. And I do think it's very much then it is like a wider horror community thing like of all genres it's probably the main genre that is like a kind of like a legacy thing that you pass down to your offspring like you know you don't really have the same type of connection with like rom-coms or stuff like that like it tends to be like horror or genre like sci-fi and stuff like that it is one that's passed down and I'm very much the same like my connection to it was through my dad and like you know now when it comes to going to watch new movies it tends to be horror as well so like it's something that is you you get to share which I enjoy but that was a lovely introduction fantastic and thank you and so given that we are going to be talking about the final destination franchise and the first film today when I put out the tweet looking for people to talk about the films you were very adamant that you wanted to talk about the very first final destination film because you even said that you had like a I guess like a sentimental or special connection to it so why why did you want to talk about this specific film um, out of the franchise well, I think for me like Final Destination was I mean I was 15 when it came out in the cinemas I did go to to the cinema to see it I think after after the Blair Witch Project it was the first horror that I saw in in the cinema so it kind of holds a special place for me in that respect but also not to not to bring the tone down or anything but um I, it was one of the last films that I saw with with my best friend who took his he he took his own life um, uh, just a couple of weeks later. So the film has always sort of had that that extra sort of resonance to me as like being one of those like the last good memories that we all mm. had together. So it's kind of wanted to be able to to talk about it and or you know be 
get to rewatch the film again, sort of cast my mind back to to that time when we were when we were still together. Right. Well, um, firstly, I just want to say sorry for that loss that you experienced. And also as well, I think if there's any genre of film that allows us to talk about those hard t- hard times in our lives, it is a horror genre. It's something that why we find comfort in it. So um, I'm glad that you got to have the experience of being able to reconnect with it to talk about it today. Um, so thank you for coming on um, to discuss this film. And yeah, I definitely think just like as a wider thing, when we have that memory of like the first horror film we saw in cinema that, you know, it is something that we always have a special connection to, even if like the film isn't the most spectacular film. It's just, it's the first time we got to see a horror on the big screen. So you just have that sentimental memory to it and you have an extra special reason to remember it. But um, yeah, so let's just jump into the film. So maybe given that you're the one that wanted to talk about it specifically give a brief synopsis of the first final destination film for people who may not have seen it if they're listening to this deep dive so it starts with a class of uh, new york high high school students on the way to the airport they're going on a a school trip to to france because apparently that's something that they do in america they just you know go jetting halfway across the world for, for a school jaunt but once on board the plane, one of the one of the teens, Alex, he has uh, a dream or a vision or a premonition that the plane's going to explode. So he wakes up from from this from this dream, and suddenly the things that he just saw start happening. So he freaks out, gets off the plane. Uh, a teacher and some of the other students kind of get wrapped up with him they get off the plane and the plane takes off and explodes uh cut to i think it's about a month later and the fbi still haven't found a reason for the explosion and then suddenly the surviving members of uh, the fateful flight 180 start to start to die in what appear to be accidents but as Alex and his friends quickly realise, uh, might be something more cosmic in origin. Brilliant, brilliant synopsis, and it just t- nails it down perfectly. And yes, and that just like when you're saying it there about how they're killed off one by one, it's one of the reasons why I genuinely think the Final Destination films can easily slot into the slasher genre in some mm. way, because essentially in these films, death is the unseen killer is the you know is the slasher of this of this franchise and i think as we get into the discussing the film more in detail i think there are certain deaths that really kind of lead to that analysis of the films but one of my just re-watching it the other day and i think i've like probably watched this film so many times now and it still just holds up on rewatch even though you know exactly what's yeah. going to happen in each scene it's still so much fun and I think that's what I love about the franchise as a whole it's just a fun film like if you know sometimes with certain horror movies you know you need to be in the right mood for it stuff like that I think with the Final Destination ones it's really just a like a popcorn horror in a way as in like I'm just looking to have a good time and watch some ridiculous over the top deaths and it's delivers that perfectly and um, but one of my when I was re-watching it one of the scenes that like I guess on my previous watches I'd never really kind of picked up on the kind of absurdity of it but just the bit where before they board the plane for the very first time when Todd the best friend of Alex kind of just comes up and says dude we have to go have a shit because it's a long <laughs> it's a long haul flight and you don't want the girls to associate and he goes into really like graphic description of how their reaction to it would be and I just think that that scene was like incredibly absurd I was just like I don't know what it's doing here but also it seemed very realistic to ridiculous mental gymnastics that young teen boys and to an extent men go through into what they think women would like and I want to know as a femme person, what you think about that type of scene and what it says about those characters? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it, it we don't get very long with mm. any of the characters before before the explosion. And I think it sort of nails who Todd is. He's obviously a very 
anxious person that's constantly thinking everything through which then leads into of course you would follow Alex up of a plane because mm-hmm. he's he's quite neurotic I mean the fact that he's one blessing that he's got these illusions that these like super popular you know super pretty popular girls would necessarily like think twice about him when they, you know they're going to France you know going to France with going to be all these like Frenchmen but he has you know he's orchestrated this plan for he's got to sit next to them on the plane and he he I mean it, it's weird because he thinks that we've got to go to the toilet because you know they can't come in afterwards and like smell anything that we might have done in there because it's going to turn their stomach but he is quite happy to tell them that he's got a a urinary urine infection. infection so that he can't move seats so that he has to sit next to one of them which is I think again it sort of plays into that sort of like teenage the, the, the teenage thing of like you think one thing through but then you know word vomit you will say the complete wrong thing in another instance so I kind of like that it, it does it just set up that and I like the fact that they you know they go to the toilet together that's something that is always you know typically seen in society as something that only women do and it's nice to Mm. see that sometimes you know guys can go to the loo together too it's you know yeah and like yeah I just like it's something as well that I think uh, a lot of the times like you tend not to see like you know those type of like just human functions in film and stuff like that a lot of time characters seem to be like none of that stuff is shown and it's like they're kind of almost lesser less than human in a way because oh we won't put that stuff on screen so yeah it kind of like humanizes them more in a very bizarre way but yeah yeah. I think not yeah I think normally the only time you see that is like in a in a comedy film like American Pie when Um, they they give him the laxatives it's it's always it is you know it's played for the toilet humor side of it whereas you know this is just well, yeah, if you're going to be in a plane for eight hours, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be needing to go before you, you know, while you're while you're midair. That's it's like when you go on a train journey, you know, you don't want to. I mean, I mean, train journeys that's just purely because the t- doors never lock, and there's always that fear that the door's just going to like <laughs> you're just going to have an audience of like, Hi. <laughs> so, um, you know, it it is it's it's that thing, it's that nice little touch that helps set the scene that these are. Although this is a is a teen film, and it's going to do some some very out there stuff these are very normal people with normal you know normal bodily routines exactly and actually just like kind of thinking of when you're saying it is a teen film but like with that even though the ridiculousness of the way they frame it but given that you don't get a lot of time I like that they really try and nail down Todd's character so you get a sense of who he is because like I think that is a thing with a lot of slashers particularly in the later 80s and stuff like that when those films were literally just body count films that where there was no personality to so many of the teenagers I liked how with this Final Destination film it really did try to kind of go no these are all unique individual people that have their own set personalities which I think makes you almost like kind of like care more when you see which ones are being killed off even if they're asshole characters you're still like well they're an asshole but they're a person like mm-hmm. and so yeah I think the Final Destination films as a whole try to do a good job of nailing that down and I think one of the other scenes that I really enjoyed on the rewatch which again is just like I think it's like it's you only notice these things on re-watching a film like kind of smaller character details but after the crash and after the FBI have first kind of interviewed them and they're all going home, I really enjoyed kind of just the scene of the fact that there were no parents there to collect Claire's character and she had to be dropped home by Alex's parents. And I think that was just a really like subtle way of kind of just showing you something about that character that, you know, might come from a broken home or something like that because there's no parents that clearly care about that she was in on almost on a plane that blew up and then I just want to know like what do you think about like that that like type of you know writing directing and what that does with that character but also just Claire's character as a whole who continues into the second film as well yeah she's very much the the outsider you know we see that again from from the airport she's you know, she's the only one that doesn't know any French she's the only one that can translate the teacher she's she's reading a book about I think it must be like disasters in history I know there's a there's a book where the book drops on the floor and it's open at a picture of Princess Diana's car crash and mm. um, so she's obviously 
got some interest in strange things. And at this point, you don't necessarily know why. Obviously, later on, we find out that her, her parents, her parents both died when she was when she was young. So mm-hmm. she's obviously sort of developed a fascination with with death through through things through through that tragedy. But yeah, when everybody else comes in and it's everything everyone else has the two parents you know this is yeah. it's not just mm. there's a couple of people i think it, maybe if it was made now there would be a bit more representation of a single parent dynamic mm. or uh an interracial uh dynamic this is literally just your you know nuclear family mum and dad come running to embrace all of their children and then she is just left and you are thinking well why isn't why isn't it and as somebody that was brought up by a single parent mm. I sort of identified with her even though I do have one parent I did sort of identify with well she's obviously other and outside of this group mm-hmm. in in some way and I think that's that's something that's really interesting and then as the film goes on you know she's at school and then she's living in the woods on her own and she's like doing all this sculpting and stuff and she's a really really interesting and complex character because she's I guess I guess I sort of identified with her a little bit because she's sort of old before her time mm. she kind of feels a bit like how I was when I was a teenager yeah no and, and she really is one of the characters that is I think has the most going on in a way there's so much with that character and I think Ali Larger does a really good job of portraying her and it was just again it was just like watching the film and it just kind of like stuck in my head that it's so interesting because like to me, like Ali Larter seemed like one of those actresses that was huge in the early 2000s, like did the first two Final Destination films, was in Heroes, was in the, the you know, Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil films, which, you know, some people like them, some people don't, but she was in them. And but then like after that kind of early 2000s era she kind of just seems to have fallen off as an actress because you don't really see her much anymore like I looked her up on IMDb because I was just thinking surely she's still in stuff and she is acting but not Mm. in anything major and I just like it was just something that struck me as odd and even just the the rest of these kind of characters like the actors that were in it like looking at I always love like these early 2000s films seeing which actors have managed to kind of continue and still be part of the you know popular culture like people know of them and then which ones seem to have fallen off in a way I always mm. think it's really interesting and speaking of popular actors one of the ones that I love because of the Final Destination franchise is Tony Todd as the brilliant mortician Bloodworth because oh as in, he just brings like so much gravitas to whatever role he does because he just has, he's like that you know that type of classically trained actor and just has that tone and he has such a sinister laugh as this mortician and I just want to like do you think that his character is one of the ones that really kind of solidifies these films in a way like makes them like pushes it into that maybe this is it is more supernatural or cosmic or something like that and yeah I just want to know what you think about Tony Todd's character because I adore him. <laughs> yeah, I mean Tony Todd is is great, and I think in a way at the time he helped legitimise the film because mm. I think a lot of older audiences would have just written it off because this is what two thousand, so this is in the wake of like Scream. I know what he did last summer yeah. around the time of I think Valentine was a year or so later. Your Urban Legend, and I think a lot of your more mature horror audience were a bit reticent to you know oh, this is just for kids, you know this is mm. like a, a kids horror, but then. Well, Tony Todd's in it. Well, he was, you know, he was Candyman. He was in Night of the Living, you know, the Night of the Living Dead remake. You know, maybe, maybe this is worth my time. And he's in, he's in the one scene, but he is easily one of the things that that most people remember. They're like, oh, is 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 he? When you're talking about the franchise, oh, is that, that the one with Candyman in? And mm. I think it does pop up in the, in another one further down the line. But you know, he is in that scene. He only has a handful of lines, but he does steal it, and he is playful. He, it's like he's playing to his persona if you're watching it the first time as a teen you've not really explored much horror you don't know who he is but then later on when you start working your way down and suddenly you see him as Candyman you suddenly then realize upon a rewatch how good his performance is 
in that little role because he is it's a cameo in a way an extended cameo and he is alluding back to his history in horror like of course you'd find Candyman, you know of course you find tony todd hiding out in a, in a morgue that's you know that's i mean you know robert england's probably you know next door and you know that's it's just where these guys hang out it it, it it makes sense to to the audience but yeah bloodworth is a great little character and i mean i don't think anybody else could get away with saying what's the line he says something about you don't want to fuck with that, Mac Daddy. That is that is what he's. I mean, nobody else is going to be able to deliver that line with a, you know with the same level of coolness that that Tony Todd does. Oh, exactly, and <clears throat> it's something that I didn't even like watching Candyman. I like never like really like you know noticed it, but I think whichever way they like framed shots with Bloodworth the mortician in the Final Destination film, you really see how imposing of a body Tony Todd it like he's a very big tall man and I don't know how I never really kind of picked up on it watching Candyman but you really see it in these films which because they frame it in such a way that they really pay attention to it and I think it just adds extra weight to the fact that he, he just steals those scenes um but yeah he definitely is a highlight of the of the final destination film for me and I think it, it isn't really up until that point that you kind of like realize that oh death is the killer like you know it's not really hinted at until and I think I love it's almost like a device in a way but I love how Tony Todd's character is the one that kind of just is used to tell you the rules of the franchise which I just love these rules like they're kind of ridiculous but I adore them how it's like death has a design if you cheat the design then it's going to come after you if someone intervenes it will jump the line like I just love how throughout the franchise but starting off with the first film but throughout the franchise it very much sticks to those rules it never really changes it and I like that it's kind of consistent um and another another scene that I want to know what you think about but it was one of the ones that just stood out to me and I thought it was again a good way of showing you this is who this character is but also I think kind of said a little bit more of a wider message, but it was the kind of main, I guess, not funeral, but kind of like memorial service, like a month later when they're remembering everything that happened. And just when everyone's kind of like, I guess, avoiding Alex, because he's they're a little bit creeped out by, by him still. And there's just that one bit where Carter's character, who's played by the actor Kerr Smith, kind of just loudly proclaims to Alex, I am never going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember watching it and I was just like, one I thought was like a perfect line to kind of just basically show you how arrogant this character is. But also I thought it was a and I want to know what you think maybe because again like this film came out in an era of where when you look back at films so many films you're just like oh this didn't really hold up to today's standards of what society is but I thought that that line kind of maybe was a potential way of possibly commentating on commentating on maybe kind of an example of like toxic masculinity and stuff like that that this character is so arrogant that he's able to just kind of say this and believe it so I want to know what you think about that scene and that line yeah I mean he definitely builds builds into that I mean an archetype of the horror genre has always been sort of like your jock character which is I guess the role that he is he is portraying he's not quite as bad as some Mm. that you see but he definitely it's, it's it's arrogance but also he is more than any of the rest of them. He is the one that is flat out refusing to even accept or entertain that anything is happening. It's it's that he doesn't want to face the truth. It's that whole ostrich head in the sand. So if if I don't think about it, it's not going to happen. So I'm going to live forever. Nothing's you know nothing's going to hurt me. I'm just going to get on, and you can stay away from me because you're going to try. You are forcing me to confront this thing that that I want nothing to do with. So I think it does play nicely into you say you know stuff with toxic masculinity and stuff because it's it was still like another like five to ten years after that that things started to change and a bit more awareness was raised, but it does sort of open open the doors a little bit to. Because through that, the film obviously he he starts to change mm. a little bit, little bit. <laughs> he, he changes a little bit. I mean, back by you know back by the end, he's 
he's still like you know I think he's back to the line of like I'm the safest one here because so he hasn't learned quite as much as he potentially should but it shows that there's there's a willingness at some stage definitely and I do like and uh, again like how over the course of the film you see the different characters slightly changing some obviously learning more some kind of refusing to learn but still there <laughs> in, in a way um but I do I do like how you see the characters progress through the film and I think uh actually another example of like that maybe refusing to accept what's happening is the character that was played by Sean William Scott which again one of those actors that was huge during yeah. this era of the 2000s and then kind of seemed to have fallen off over the last number of years but he's just that one scene where they like leave the car on the train tracks I'm just kind of like why like it's one of those ones where you really question like character decisions like it's just like that's where you stop you couldn't have just driven a little bit more no no this is where you stop um but yeah they managed to get out of the car it seems everyone's safe and then he's like going no I'm not gonna die he's like having this big thing and then literally the piece of metal gets (laughs) hooked up from the train and decapitates him but not a full decapitation almost like from his like mouth up which was really interesting um but yeah I just thought that was like another example of showing how I guess almost like paranoia affects some of these characters because everyone reacts differently. Some of them are refusing to believe, whereas others are believing so much. In And I think we see this really highlighted with um, Alex's character. And I just think Devin Sawa does a terrific performance as Alex. And But there's just that one scene where you see him like basically hold up in this kind of like little like, cottage or shed almost where he you can like you can just see how much the paranoia has taken hold where he's just like almost monologuing like I did this I did this so you're not going to get me here and I just thought it was a really good portrayal of how the human psyche can unravel due to intense Mm -hmm. paranoia and I want to know what you think about like Alex's character but also like Devin's performance as Alex and stuff like that in this film yeah, I mean, he's he's great. I mean, my friend was obsessed with him. Like I say, I was 15 in the 2000s, so I was an early teen when Casper and Little Giants mm. and Now and Then came out, and my friend was obsessed with him. And then he sort of took a break for a few years, and then he popped back up in this. So then she was very keen that we, we went to see it, and um, we had to... You know, I had to. It was, it was Devon, and he's he's great because it's it's like he he almost accepts quite blindly what is happening, but he is still struggling with it. And it's only as he begins to go down this rabbit hole and realize that actually what he's thinking is true, and that he has it confirmed by you know the the master of death. And yet, then he just loses. He saves Carter, and then just unravels i mean i'm not i'm not too sure whether if i was trying to avoid death i would be eating chicken out of a tin i'm not sure if that's you know he's gone to <laughs> gone to a lot of trouble to make sure you know he's wearing the gloves he's got a plastic spoon he's but then he's just randomly opening a, a tin of chicken to, to tuck into i mean that's that's instantly <laughs> that's instantly a questionable decision but i think he makes a and it's nice to see I know he's not the only one that survives, but it's nice to sort of see like a, a final guy. It's mm. been so historically the the final the final woman that it's nice to be following a, a horror story through through a, a teenage boy's eyes rather than rather than a girl's for for once, which I think adds uh, adds something a little different to the series as well. Definitely, and I think it's like just like it's something that is actually carried on throughout the franchise as well because like each film it's like different final characters it's never kind of consistently it's a final guy each time sometimes it's a final girl so I like how they kind of just play on that and they just kind of go it could just be anyone anyone can try and escape death (laughs) and I like how the film plays into that um but yeah and I just speaking of Devin Sawa I love that he's popped up again in the Chucky franchise series which is fantastic so it's again just great to see 
certain horror actors coming back to the genre, finding, you know, fame again within the genre that put them on the map. I, I always enjoy that about certain actors. Um, but there was actually just going back to the the rules of the film franchise. It's something that I kind of like was thinking about that it does kind of like pose that bit of like a I guess a existential or philosophical conundrum because it's kind of just like you know it poses that question do we have free will or is everything determined because if death has a design and it doesn't matter what you do death Mm. is going to get you in the end it kind of like really kind of like asks you know makes us have to try and entertain that question and I guess that goes back to why Carter refuses to think about it doesn't want to think about it and I think he represents maybe the fact that a lot of just in general people don't want to reconcile with that question you know they don't want to ask it and so I think the film does a kind of a fun way of kind of like making us reflect on that question and I want to know what you think like do you think that the film is like actually trying to send some form of a message about that trying to make us think about it or is it just it's there if you want to think about it I mean, it's definitely pushing that that agenda isn't it because again it's I always saw it as a you know as a teen film and teens often believe themselves to be indestructible you know mm. you don't you don't really think about even you know what you're doing after school you're so living living in the moment and this film does open up the idea that so you know someday this is going to happen and a lot of people struggle I know that I myself if I try and wrap my head around at some point I won't be here it makes my head it makes my head hurt a lot yeah <laughs> Just, I can't can't <laughs> quite conceptualize and it's like you know will I be open will I know or will it just happen and it yeah it's yeah. it's a bit of a, a brain melt and this film it does it presents you with that but then it also gives you this sort of like a little a law that or maybe you could cheat it and mm. it it sort of posed that question of if you knew that at this time this would happen, would you change it? Would you would you try and and change your change your fate, change your circumstances? And then because I mean obviously they the guys do this, but then they potentially got a life ahead of them of permanently trying to cheat death. You know, would you would you sign up for that or would you you just prefer to go okay it's like when I had my when I had my daughter you know pregnancy most women it just randomly they're going to labor I was induced so I knew that she was coming I preferred that I like to be organized I like to plan it was nice (laughs) that I knew like she was coming on a certain day but it's a similar thing it's like if you knew this was your time would you be more prepared or would it make it worse? I mean, it does raise a lot of a lot of interesting issues, which you don't necessarily expect from, like you said earlier, a popcorn, a popcorn horror. Exactly. And I think that's why I really love this like franchise and like the first film as well as like the one that sets it up. Like, you know, it's the catalyst for the franchise. But I just love them that it is doing more than you think as in like it you know it does easily fall into that category of popcorn horror but when you really kind of like actually sit down with it and you know put on your critical analysis hat (laughs) it's actually kind of doing more than you're aware of which I like about that because you know certain popcorn horror films are just that they're not doing Mm -hmm. anything they're literally just there for pure entertainment which is great but I like the ones that kind of balance that line they're kind of like oh no no we're we are that but we're a little bit more if you want you know if you're paying attention I think it was done cleverly um but now I think the best part when discussing any of the final destination films is because it is technically a slasher but the kills with you know the death scenes which ones um stand out for you are there any ones that when you're doing a rewatch you're looking forward to it coming up on screen again and before you jump in I realize that for some reason, whatever Zoom account I have previously, it allowed me to just do it non, you know, without yeah. the 40 minute time limit. But now that's disappeared for me. So I'm going to have to jump back in and try and sign up for a, a premium account again. Um, So this is going to run out in a few minutes. Yeah. So what I'm actually going to do now is I'm just going to cancel it. Like I'm yeah, going to end fine. it now yeah. and then I'll send you another link and we'll finish off. 
perfect yes it's, it's the joys of zoom it's oh, uh it's it's, it's but it's... sometimes sometimes it will go on beyond 40 minutes because i i only have a basic account and when i do like interviews for fight fest and stuff sometimes i'll be like i'll say to my husband right i'm i'm not going to be longer than 40 minutes because zoom won't let me and then yeah. i come downstairs an hour and a half later be like zoom let me go longer <laughs> so yeah like, it's, like it's very it weird is, it is weird because like like i have the basic account and i've you know i've had it for the last number of months and my last like I don't know two series of recording have been like this on the basic account but mm. I've been able to record upwards of an hour an hour and a half so I it's the first time I've seen it tell me that I have this amount of time remaining so I'm going to test it and rather than cancelling it I'm going to test it and actually let it time out if it ends and it ends if not I'll just send another one to you okay yeah. so yeah. I'll be able to delete all of this but okay jumping in are there any kills that stand out for you with the franchise or well not the franchise but this specific film Final Destination are there any favorites of yours I mean it has to be Terry in the bus I mean in sort of my history of horror cinema in the cinema the three death that stand out to me, well the three jumps that stand mm. out to me are Terry and the bus the the reveal in the descent and the dinner scene in the invisible man mm. they are the, sort of the three like what the fuck moments because you know they're just in the middle of an argument we've not really seen much of Terry and it's that she finally has her moment to just be like I'm saying then bang a bus you don't it just completely blindsides everybody and it's it's one of the the first jump scares that I remember being aware of as a as a teenager and just the impact it has for a first-time viewer especially in an audience setting is just what just happened because you don't and also you know it's because it it is just so yeah yeah it's like it and, and it's interesting in a way like because again one of the things with the Final Destination films and like based off of because following what the mortician said and his kind of like talking about everything that happens is he says you can notice the signs and we see Devin look at the window and you see a random bus go by but there's no bus so yeah. technically the film is saying oh there's going to be a bus <laughs> death but you kind of don't you're you're with the characters so you don't really think about it and then the bus just comes out of nowhere and I like how they don't like with the, these films in general, they never shy away from showing the impact of these type of really intense deaths. So like you, like it's not like it cuts away or anything. Like, you literally see the bus and obliterate her character. And yeah, it's such a jump and you don't expect it. And it's just, oh my word, this came out of nowhere. And yeah, it really stands out. And I think another one that I thought was really well done which I just enjoy each time I watch it but is the death of Todd in the shower I just thought it was it was really well done but it it almost like was one of those deaths that almost veered into slapstick era like you know territory because there was like the soap in the tub the slipping the water on the floor from the bat like and I think that's something that with a lot of the Final Destination death scenes, they can almost veer towards that comedic, you know, it's like yeah. almost horror comedy in a way, but they don't go too too far. They pull it back just in time, I think. But one of the things that stood out to me with like death and Todd's death scene was the fact that after he dies, you see like the water that had leaked out of the toilet literally going back under the toilet and I just thought that that made death as a character so incredibly terrifying because it was the simple fact that it was like oh no I'm not just going to make it look like an accident like you know I'm going to make people you know think that oh this person you know did this to themselves and stuff like that and like I just thought it made death as a villain as a slasher way more terrifying than death had appeared previously in the mm. film and I want to know what you think about death as a character as a killer like do you think that there are certain death scenes that make death more terrifying than others I mean that one the Todd death that's the that's the first time in the Final Destination series that we are seeing 
uh, you know, the previously it's just been a plane crash and that, mm. you know, they, they, plane crashes are something that do happen in, in everyday life, thankfully not too often, yes. but they, they do, they do happen. But this was the first one. And even though this is, even though it's the first one, the way that they do construct the scene where he's, he cuts himself shaving and you see, you see water leaking and you see this and you see that is that you already know that something you're waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. You just don't know what yet because you, you haven't, you know, you don't know these rules yet. And yeah, it's when you say, when you see that water recede, it's like death, death isn't just about just killing these people. He or it wants to, to toy with it. It's like, mm. You cheated me once. You're not going to get away again. Like I'm gonna sort of, I'm gonna enjoy this this time. <laughs> I'm and gonna do everything it, in my yeah. power. <laughs> it's, he might not. It might not be a. It might not be a corporeal mm. slasher, slasher killer. But it definitely takes the same delight that somebody like Ghostface yes. or, or Jason takes in in its victims and. You know, from there, they, you know, they start to go. And with the visual thing again, going back to Terry's is what makes that so shocking because yes, we, we see the, the shot of the bus, like you say, but there's, there's no other warning signs that with Todd's death, you know, there was so much literally, leading up to it. Literally, I mean, Todd, <laughs> Alex literally sees, you know, the word Todd on, on a piece of paper. So he knows that Todd's next. But although we've seen the bus, we don't know that who the victim is. So for Terry's death, that is like bang, she's gone. And then the teacher is the next one. And again, that one is with Todd, it's so extended. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so it's it feels like like that teacher's house feels like one of those things that you got given as a kid in like science to like circle the hazards, you know, with like the overloaded socket <laughs> and the, the water near the electricals with the alcohol and you know, she's listening to to John Denver, which, given what's happened, I don't sure that was quite the the music she should have been listening to. But it is, it's it makes it fun because once you've seen that Todd death, you know, mm. by the teacher that oh, okay, and it is the fun of guessing, and that because that definitely which way it's going to happen. Yeah, like in the later films, it definitely becomes a thing, and some of the films like to, you know, subvert the expectations a lot in the later films because they know that people are looking for the signs about what's going to happen. I think there's the laser eye one where you think it's going to be, and then it's like outside or something that, that, that the death happens. So it's, it, it's setting up where this franchise is going to go. And it's a lot of fun, even in this film, trying to work out what's going to get the teacher. Is it going to be the electric? Is it going to be the fire? And, you know, it ends up just being a, good old blade it's it's you know it's fun to see them unfold definitely and I think just when you're talking about that how like the fans of the franchise when you're watching the films particularly after the first one when you know what you're kind of getting I think a really good comparison is almost like to the Saw franchise because like Mm -hmm. that's what the Saw films were you're like waiting for the traps you're waiting to see how people will be killed off and I think that's what it is with the Final Destination films you want to see how death is going to do it and they each film they try and get more and more elaborate so i think they're almost like and the fact that these both franchises were out in very similar time in horror history i think is really interesting and i think they're almost like companion franchises in a way but just different sides of the genre and that's a little bit of a tangent that could be a whole other podcast episode (laughs) but um yes with the teacher's death yeah it was so drawn out there was so much leading up to it and then again at the end of it you see like you know Alex make it to the house not in time because the teacher has just died and then he has to run out of the house as it explodes and you see Sean William Scott's character just see this happen and I just think again like it's like you're saying death is toying with these people and it's also doing everything it can to frame Alex as the person that's possibly complicit in all these deaths and I think that's really interesting as well because it's not only is death going oh I want to you know I'm going to you know toy with you I'm going to torture you I'm going to get you for cheating me the first time it's also going oh you who had the premonition your life is going to be the worst out of everyone (laughs) It's like death's really mean, which yeah. I kind of enjoy that. Um, but yeah, and not to do with the teacher's death, but it was just I always it's one of the things that I always forget, like living in Ireland, and I think you know, it's the same with the UK, 
that we have electric kettles for boiling or making our tea i always forget that that's something that almost doesn't exist in america so like when you're watching the film and putting like the hot water to make her tea or coffee on like the actual stove like i just always like get taken aback when i'm seeing that in a film because i'm just like that seems highly dangerous why would you be doing that (laughs) and yeah i just want to know as someone who's from the UK, watching those, uh, watching that type of scene, do you think it like adds to the potential danger for this character, or do you think it's just not not a thing at all, and we're just reading into it too much? <laughs> oh no, like I say, you know this this teacher. I mean, she she is in the movie in the process of like moving, so I guess we have to forgive her some of her some of her uh, faux pas but that everything in that house is is just asking for trouble and yeah then you know adding open flames and stuff to it because she's clearly upset she's not you know she's not in the right mind should she really be operating naked flames it it does all sort of build into build into into that that thing because it's it's and you say it's right it isn't so foreign to to us and it is something that almost to me only exists in like a scary movie it's you know it's the same with in scream where drew barrymore's doing her popcorn mm. on the stove whereas you know i just we have a, i just took it in the microwave it's obviously not a cinematic but again that when she puts the, the popcorn onto the stove that doesn't see and then she's just walking around the house and so like, but that and obviously then later on there's the fire so yeah it's to me, I just it's it helps me remember that it's a film because mm. it's a, it is that sort of step removed from my own reality, I guess. Definitely, um, yeah, I like that um, analysis of you know being able to go, oh yeah, it's it's definitely not real. <laughs> it's definitely a film, <laughs> and it makes it easier to kind of like once you once you finish it and switch it off and go okay, I don't have to be paranoid that there is a design and that death is coming after me. We're all good. <laughs> yeah, that... But then but then there are those instances, you know, in life where, you know, something will happen and it'll be like, is this how my final destination, you know, is this, it's like when I think I went to the cinema recently and like my coffee order came to like £6.66 and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> is this like, is this is this the start of my final destination death? So it, it does still sort of, make you because there's all these sort of like almost comedy of errors in the way that some of these characters die Mm -hmm. when something bizarre happens to you it does there is that momentarily flick to and it's like you know I mean obviously it's not until the second film but I don't think anybody will ever be comfortable sitting behind a lorry with a load of a load of logs and it's like these films are they're they're almost a cautionary tale in in a lot of ways too you know 100 percent careful Definitely. And I think just when you're saying, talking about that, like about how we, like you said, there is those little moments in life when you have the, oh, is this my final destination moment? Um, it, I think it just shows about like, you know, this franchise, these films, like, you know, they might, they might not be sitting at like the top of the tower of pinnacle of horror films, but they've seeped into popular culture even people who may not have ever seen the films kind of like are aware of final destination of something may happen like it's I think it's just so interesting and fascinating how everyone is aware of these films even if they haven't watched every single one in the franchise even if they're not diehard fans people are aware of their existence and I think it's always amazing how genre films or horror films are able to just become so embedded in popular culture and I think this franchise is one of the ones that successfully did that um but yeah I just yeah I just adore this film so I think we're coming up probably to the 45 50 minute mark now so we'll probably to kind of close it down and wind up for this and recording so just your final thoughts on Final Destination as a film is it one that you would recommend to horror fans if they haven't seen it would you recommend it to just film fans in general I mean I think it works I think it works for for both I think if you're more of a general fan it's it's horror but in many ways because of the the sort of the teen aspects and the fact Mm -hmm. it is a a lower certificate and that it's it in the it's not really gore, gore, yeah. whatever. It's it's a nice, 
with the, with the term like gateway horror. It's something that horror fans and non-horror fans alike can can sit and watch. It you know builds back into the whole popcorn popcorn horror thing. It's the mm-hmm. people that don't really have a massive appetite for horror but occasionally enjoy going to the cinema to, you know, to have a, a scary time. I think it, it builds nicely into that. And if it's, if you are a horror fan, I think there's plenty in there. I mean, we haven't necessarily touched upon it, but the fact that the deaths that we discussed, a lot of those are foreshadowed really early on. Um, on mm-hmm. the plane, Todd asked to switch when uh, the girls are asking for Alex to switch seats. Todd um, mimes being hung, which comes into play. Yeah. Um, after the explosion, there's a picture of a bus behind Terry. And when Billy is watching the plane take off, the way that the plane on the reflection goes across his face is how late he will be decapitated. It has got some clever bits in there for for horror and genre fans to sort of like dig into and and like. And for me, it's a perfect Halloween film. I know the Prince Charles Cinema does two all-nighters each Halloween. They do like a classic horror with like Halloween and mm. thing. And then they do a teen horror, which is Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, The Craft, and Final Destination. And we have replicated that in our household many Halloween. It's that nice sort of seasonal horror that's not going to wreck you in the same way as like an Ari Aster film, for example. Mm-hmm. It's a nice plug and play horror. So yeah, I think it I think it's something for, for everybody, everybody in that. Brilliant. Def- definitely. And I agree. And it's why I love this franchise as a whole. It's just it's like an easy comfort watch as well. It's just you can just plug and play. And I think, as you said, it's great for a group you know it's one of those Mm. ones that's fantastic if you have a group of friends over because like again there's just you can have fun with the death scenes and stuff like that they're like you know it's not an Ari Aster film where you're going to need to be on your own nobody else around you you know these are perfect for a group but yeah no fantastic and thank you again for coming on to talk about the final destination film kicking off my deep dive into this franchise I'm very glad that you wanted to come on and specifically talk about this film. So thank you. And before I let you go, where can people find you if they want to support your work and just follow your thoughts? (laughs) So I am on Letterboxd and Twitter at Gizmo Shikari. Most of my writing is for The Hollywood News, uh, which is www.thehollywoodnews.com, where you will find fairly recent interview that I did with uh, this little known person called Slash which mm-hmm. yeah I saw still, I saw I'm, I'm I still like... <laughs> several days later I'm like did I did I talk to Slash that's like I mean you know someone's big when they go by one name mm-hmm. so yep. uh you can you can read um what what he had to say to say there and yeah anything else I will be uh screaming about on my Twitter so I just just find me there amazing Thank you again. Thank you for coming on. And yes, massive congratulations on that slash interview. That is just, I'm like, you know, that's just like a, a fangirl moment. Amazing. Um, and yeah, thank you again for coming on to talk about this and kicking off my deep dive into the franchise. And to my listeners, keep your eyes and ears peeled for future episodes as they are released. And thank you again for listening to Fishnets and Philosophy.